So for those of you that are listening, I have Dr. Cecily Ganhart on the podcast with me today. And you might be familiar with her on Instagram. She is the fasting doctor. And I'll tell you what, usually, Cecily, I, I would have someone tell us a little bit about their backstory. But I mean, with what you talk about on Instagram, which is different than your actual practice, it, it's pretty straightforward. So can, can we start by talking about fasting and how you got into it? Sure, definitely. So in terms of um, intermittent fasting, for those who um, may not be familiar with it or are hearing um, about it kind of in the media, I think it's kind of gaining a little traction right now. Mm -hmm. Basically, the premise is that you allow your body um, times for feasting or times for eating, but that your body also needs time to rest, to rest from caloric intake or food. Um, And Previously, it's thought that during, you know, earlier times or not even, I mean, we don't have to look that far in the distant past. I mean, we can look to our grandparents or even great grandparents. Um, You know, they weren't eating on a schedule. No one told them as soon as it was 7 a.m. You needed meals at 7 a.m. 3 or 7 a.m. 10, 3. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. On a clock like that. They got up. They started working, they handled what they needed to do, and then maybe they would eat. Uh, And eating after dark was also not something that was very commonplace. You know, sun went down, got everything ready for bed, and, and people went to bed. So the thought process is this is honestly how we used to live, uh, prior to industrialization and just the, um, constant availability of food. And so because we no longer allow our body that quiet time where we're not um, having caloric intake, it's leading to increased baseline levels of insulin production in our body. And there's many mechanisms, but insulin is, I think, one of the um, more straightforward concepts Mm -hmm. to grasp. Mm -hmm. And so it's leading to extra um, insulin production. Uh, Some people like to refer to that as insulin resistance, but the concept is that insulin in itself, um, when it's not regulated properly, can lead to increased storage of fat and other metabolic abnormalities. And so with fasting, your insulin is spiked when you eat. And so by reducing the frequency of when you eat, that over time allows insulin levels to drop back down to a normal rate, um, normal level, but also then helps to release excess fat, help correct metabolic abnormalities. So that's kind of the premise behind the whole concept. That is probably the most detailed yet straightforward explanation that I have ever heard around fasting. And we did that in just a couple of minutes. Um, now, for you, how how is it that you really got into fasting? Where, where did this start for you personally? 
Yeah. So for me, um, in 2017, I came across um, a book. A lot of people have heard of uh, Dr. Jason Fung. He's probably the one who certainly he did not invent fasting, but he is the one who has made it known and actually had people begin to think about um, should this actually be a common clinical practice in the treatment of obesity? He has a well-known clinic, um, the Intensive Dietary Center based out of Toronto, Canada, and he's treated over thousands of patients with intermittent fasting. So he definitely is um, probably the most, I would say, experienced in using this in clinical medicine um, in kind of uh, recent years. Um, so he wrote a book, it's called The Obesity Code. I highly recommend it. It discusses the science of intermittent fasting, and it gets your mind frame into why this would work. And I think a lot of times when people start a new lifestyle change or dietary change, they're like, well, my trainer told me to do it. Or, you know, someone just told, and they don't understand Mm -hmm. the mechanisms behind it. So that's why I really like that book. But anyhow, I was looking to lose weight. Um, At the birth of my second son in 2014, I'd gotten up to 264 pounds. That was the highest weight for my adult um, weight. And so I would do kind of traditional dieting back and forth. I would lose some weight, gain some weight, lose some weight, gain some weight, that Mm yo-yo. And so I was really looking for something different. And I was like, well, this is the only thing I really hadn't tried. Um, And that's what led me, um, you know, to read the book. And then I saw great results in myself. Um, and then I had family members who, you know, saw my results and then they started trying and had family members lose weight. And so then I started talking about it with other people. Um, and the feedback I always get is that, oh my gosh, I've lost weight. And so that led me to have an interest in trying to also integrate this more into, um, my medical practice as well. So that's kind of how it kind of came full circle for me. So how did doing this on your own um, and then talking to friends and family, then make trying to to work it into your practice, how did that lead you to Instagram and then Q&As on Instagram Live? Yeah, so I think it all was kind of just a gradual transition. I think for me, the nice thing was that before um, I like changed my handle, I was on Instagram, but it was more just my own little account, you know, Mm -hmm. to document my own journey, but to also see what other people were posting about, get ideas, things to research and and see if anything made any um, practicality, you know, practical sense about it. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a really nice platform just to connect with other people. Um, who were trying things that I guess are deemed non-traditional in a sense Uh, and seeing also that lots of people were having weight loss success. Uh, I think there's a common misconception where um, people believe once someone reaches a certain weight, it's like, oh yeah, they're just going to be that size or, um, some people can lose weight, but it takes so much willpower, right? That not everyone can do that. And it was just like day after day, I was coming across profiles or pictures or different hashtags where you're seeing people on their own drop 30, 50, a hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that was inspiring to me. And then I think the 
talking about it with friends and family. And then once um, more people started to realize that I was a physician, um, people were interested like, oh my gosh, there's a doctor who's actually lost weight with this and they don't mind talking about it. And so that's kind of what led me to to do the Q&A sessions and convert my account from kind of like a private account and, and transition it over to a public account. Well, and, and the one thing, the one thing with that, when you start doing the live videos, I like those because it, it usually starts with, okay, here's a topic or a couple topics that we're going to start with, but based on kind of the flow of the conversation and the vibe from the audience, I mean, it can completely go in another direction. And it, it seems like the, the, just the conversation itself, just kind of, it, it just kind of flows. And I think it's it's actually a great form to where not only people can interact with you, but they see questions that somebody else and statements that other people are making. And then like they just kind of respond to that. But a, a question I have, because I know there, there's a lot of folks within the weight loss community that um, do the live videos or they're thinking about it, but they're nervous. Now, were you nervous the first time that you went live and, and we're going to be answering this in kind of a rapid fire fashion? You know, I probably should have been a little more nervous <laughs> than I was. I think for me, the biggest thing was to always just stress. It was more of a, a practicality or legality, I should say. I think the thing that made me nervous in general about saying I was a doctor on Instagram was that someone would say, oh my gosh, I met you via an Instagram live and now you're my doctor. And I'm like, nope. no, I'm, I'm not your doctor. Like, I I, I love your screen name, you know, Lisa233 or whatever, but I, I don't know you. Right. And so I think that was the biggest thing for me, just making sure to always state, it sounds corny, but to always state, like, it's not any personalized advice for anyone. It's general informational purposes only. Um, and I think that was my biggest um, thing, trying to work through that. Otherwise, um, before we... Um, do a live session or before, and this may help anyone who's interested in doing their own live session. Um, I at least go through the person's profile. We'll exchange emails. I'll see kind of what their background is in terms of things they've talked about before. Mm -hmm. So I am pretty comfortable that even though we may veer off topic or it may go, you know, any sorts of which ways, I think um, you know, I'm fairly confident people are going to keep it professional. Do you know what I mean? And it's not going to be anything where it makes the audience feel down or um, negative about themselves or, or things of that nature. So that's what I think. I just think it's important to, um, you know, kind of at least look at the person, whether it's their Instagram posts they've made before, if they have a website, exchange emails, like however you want to do it, you should just kind of know whom you're inviting on the air, you know, prior to the going yeah. live session. Yeah, no, that's, and that's really, I think that's good advice for anybody. If they're going to be doing one of the kind of the dual screen lives where you're bringing somebody else on, you, you definitely should have kind of a, a basic, at least a little bit of a background on who you're talking to. Um, and, you know, my thought, and, and it's something that we've, that we've always heard in weight loss and, and fitness is, you know, consult your doctor, consult your doctor. Uh, and I can certainly see why when you started putting things out, because I, I mean, this is your profession is one of those where it's like, okay, the, the general consensus of 
the weight loss industry is going to be all kinds of things that that there's all kinds of promises that aren't really backed by uh, science and research. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you even kind of led to that as, okay, you being a physician that's, that's putting yourself out there on this platform, you know, that's, that's a different, that, that sets you apart in itself. Um, But I, I think it, it, it is something that's very important, but I think what, what Instagram as a whole can do and what especially, you know, interacting with someone like you is it provides you information that you can take to your doctor and have a reasonable conversation. I know with my physician, she and I have always had a really good rapport. And when I go in and I'm meeting with her, you know, we're, we're having a back and forth and it'll basically be like, you know, here's what I'm doing. Here's how I've been eating. Here's how I've been exercising. Here's where, you know, some areas that we've talked about that I probably need to improve. Here's where I am with that. I mean, is, is this really kind of one of the main, it sounds like this is one of the main things you're trying to do is just to, you know, get folks some information so they can go and talk to their physician and have an educated conversation. Exactly. Open a dialogue. And the nice thing is when you open a dialogue with um, your care provider, uh, I, you know, if, if for some reason they haven't heard of it or, um, whatever topic you're discussing, hopefully they'll at least go back and it may not happen during your, during your visit, right? Because time is, unfortunately, we're always on the clock, but um, they may in their off time um, research it more. Like I've had patients bring me articles about uh, numerous different things. And they're like, what about this article? And I'm like, okay, well, leave it with me and I'll read it, you know, and we'll talk yeah. about it um, before. And, and sometimes I'll say, oh, wow, it really is an interesting article. And sometimes I'm like, no, this article is horrible. And let me at least tell you why I, right. I, you know, I read it at least. But, and so I think it's one of those things to open um, up a dialogue uh, about with your provider. Um, and the nice thing is, especially if it's applying to intermittent fasting, there can be a host of um, medications that people are on for different chronic ailments or disease. Mm -hmm. Some can be taken with an empty stomach. Some can't be, you know? So, I mean, those are things at least to discuss with your provider because we wouldn't want anyone to stop a medication that they were prescribed cold turkey, but there may be a way that you bring it up with your provider. Like, Hey, I'm going to try intermittent fasting can you help me rearrange my medications to support that? Well, and, and I think that conversation is, is an important one to kind of have ongoing. And I just, I feel like one of the biggest things that we, that we see a lot of in, in this community now is, is about mental health. And it is about, um, you know, just making sure that people are getting what they need. Are you seeing a lot of, of, uh, I I mean, where, if you have a patient that's been dieting for uh, a really long time, I mean, how, when do you think, I I say often on this podcast, if you even have the slightest inkling that you may not be able to handle what it is that you're going through on your own, you should talk to your healthcare provider and get the referral if need be. I mean, is that something that as, as time's gone on here, it seems to be it's either more prevalent or more accepted to talk about mental health and, and weight loss? Yeah, no, I definitely think so. And my um, background before um, getting into also helping people with weight loss uh, is maternal fetal medicine or high risk OB. And so mental health is a huge part of 
obstetrics. So I'm happy to have that as my background because I've just always felt very comfortable addressing mental health aspects, um, patients in general, because we know if mom is not healthy, um, whether that be physically, emotionally, or mentally, that's going to have impacts on that pregnancy, on the baby after delivery, and on the entire familial unit. So it's always been something very important um, to obstetrics. And I think the same thing, it's like when you look at weight loss or a program, it's oftentimes weight is the symptom. Mm -hmm. It's not always the cause. And so people will look and say, okay, well, you feel like X, Y, and Z because you're a certain weight. So if you could just lose the weight, that's going to solve all your problems. But maybe they started feeling a certain way. There was a past trauma um, in childhood, depression ongoing, who knows, but maybe there was something there underlying that then food became a comfort. Do you, and so, and, and maybe it were all the type of, you know, kind of feel good foods that are full with sugar and then lead to a greater dopamine response. So dopamine, right? One of the pleasure sensors, hormones. So, I mean, that is also very realistic. So here you are, you take away the weight, but if they never dealt with what the, what led to the weight gain, you still haven't necessarily completely helped that person. Um, And so I think it's important to have those discussions and address both uh, just because I think so many people are under the false impression that, you know, if only I could lose X amount of pounds, life would be perfect. And then they lose that weight and life still isn't quote unquote perfect. and, And people are kind of at a loss of what to do next. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's a lot. It, and the thing that that really kind of gets me with all this stuff is that this is such a slickly marketed industry that these messages that we've heard over and over just they roll off the tongue and they seem so simple. Like you know, well, all you've got to do is burn more calories than you take in. Well, you can get into all the variables that actually are involved in that equation for each person. But I mean, you know, I think what happens is we hear this stuff so often that we think that it should be simple. But I mean, what what you're talking about, it it just it seems to make a lot more sense, whereas there's a lot of deep rooted emotional and and could be honestly, you know, lifelong issues that people have to deal with. It's a lot more than just, hey, let's let's drop some pounds here. Exactly. And I think just in general, the whole oversimplification of saying, well, it's calories in, calories out. So as long as you eat less, you know, then you'll lose weight. And then if it doesn't work for you, motivated, um, you know, you, there's tons of highly achieving individuals who are highly motivated, who are overweight. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it's just, I mean, you see lawyers, you see politicians, you see judges, doctors, like all sorts of people who you would just assume that if they got to that point, the schooling involved took commitment. So it's kind of those things where it's hard to say that it's a disease of willpower per se, um, because it, one sets people up for feeling bad if they can't achieve it. And yet a lot of times I feel like we're giving people completely wrong advice or completely incorrect advice. And 
but making it seem like it's their fault that the poor advice didn't work. No, it was bad advice. Well, and, and, you know, another misconception is I think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of, of folks within, you know, trainers, coaches, TV personalities, whatever that, that feel that, you know, they're going to share the, the information and knowledge with the person that is overweight. And I, I have to believe, because I know in conversations that I've had, and I'm sure with the conversations that you have on a regular basis, you've probably talked to some overweight patients that really know the ins and outs of every diet, can put together a logical, sensible plan that would probably work in the long term if they could stick with it, you know, that, that have a better understanding of, of this stuff than, than, than anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think once you, because that's the thing, it's like, if you have uh, really been at trying to lose weight for a long time, a lot of people end up becoming very knowledgeable about every plan out there that there is, you know? And so it's, it's, you could have a conversation with someone and they're like, well, the principles of this X, Y, and Z are da, da, da. And I'm like, you may be totally right. I have not heard of that diet before. I'm, Thank you for telling me about it. That's a new one for me. Um, but I think the the premise is, I think that what I see that's common between whether you're plant-based or paleo or vegan or like whatever label you want to be, I think the premise that a lot of these different lifestyles have is the focus on whole real foods and minimizing food like substances, you know, things that come out of a package or have a long organic chemistry list on the label mm-hmm. and, and really just eating real foods. You know, again, I would just, I mean, I have to believe that our, the people who came before us were not wondering about, you know, how many fruit servings of fruits and vegetables they got in a day that they ate the fruits and vegetables and the meat because that's what was available on the farm. You know what I mean? That's what was available on in the wild and you couldn't go get anything from a package. So I think even just starting there at a base and cutting out like a lot of the sugary drinks, cutting out a lot of your processed foods. And then if you prefer to be plant-based, if you prefer to do low carb, if you prefer, I mean, that's fine. I, again, I still argue that they all have the same premise of eating real foods. And then I think once you are able to eat real foods, um, obviously we're still, we live in a modern society. We're still going to eat stuff out of packages from time to time, but that's not the bulk. That's not our everyday. You know what I mean? That's, that's not the everyday standard. Um, we switch, we change our everyday standard. And then also just doing simple things like not eating after dark and waiting an hour or two after you wake up in the morning before you eat your first meal, uh, all of that goes a very long way into promoting health. It, it does. And I think, you know, what it really comes down to, and, and when you talk about fasting and you talk about going back to the way that we used to eat is really just simplifying things. Uh, you know, you, you talk about a patient that brings in a program that you may not have even heard before. And you're like, Oh yeah, I, I have no idea. And it's, there's a lot of, of programs and a lot of, of just complicated things out there. And, you know, one thing I think that's really important, and this is something I wanted to ask you about is really figuring out how all this stuff works for you individually. And one of the best ways to do that is biohacking. 
and I know that you're you're involved in this as well. So for anybody that's trying to figure out what their own plan is, what's going to be the best option for them, how what exactly is biohacking and how could they get started with using it? Yeah, so I mean, I in terms of biohacking and trying to figure out what works for you, I mean, I think the premise under it at its core, like you said, is at the individual level mm-hmm. and what nutrients and other lifestyle um, habits, because, you know, we haven't talked about exercise or anything like that, but what are some of the other things that your body uses as input to help you obtain your maximal output? And because we are all individuals, that really will look like different things for different people. So when we're talking about just optimizing our performance in general, I like to have people start with just a few basic pillars, and then it will lead to your own research on different things. But one, I say, look at your sleep. I think people underestimate sleep and how that affects your body's performance. You have to look at your nutrition and you can even keep a food diary. I mean, some people don't need to keep a food diary because they know they'll eat something and afterwards they have horrible gas and cramp. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, if you're having horrible gas and cramps, even though it tasted amazing, your body doesn't seem to like that because food really shouldn't make you feel uncomfortable after you eat it, right? Mm -hmm. So you can, um, elimination diets are very popular where it's not that you do this long-term, but if you really do believe um, that there are a lot of food sensitivities and and you just feel sluggish or don't feel correct, I mean, you can for a a week, um, you know, kind of start off eating the same thing every day, take out a lot of other excess stuff and then one by one reintroduce those and pay attention to how you feel. And so that is something um, that helps a lot. Uh, The other thing is, again, in terms of um, improving body performance, uh, things of that nature, exercise. So exercise, I think a lot of people feel like it has to be this dirty word that you know, you got to go to the gym and do it and it's cumbersome and it takes a lot of time, but there's plenty of outdoor activities you can do. It can be fun. It can be as simple as, um, you know, playing outside with a group of kids, even though you're the adult, just getting your body out there moving, getting exposed to sunlight, getting exposed to the outdoors, not just sitting all of time, all of the time. And then, um, you know, obviously intermittent fasting, since I'm into fasting. Um, I also think that's one of the great biohacking techniques. Um, there's just a lot of science in terms of um, using that and promoting uh, longevity, helping to recycle and get rid of damaged proteins, which, you know, can lead to mental and cognitive decline as we age, other diseases, things like that. So um, help not prevent aging, right? Because we're all going to age, but it's more of making sure you age at optimal function. I think that's a misconception that I see a lot of people as like, well, I'm, I'm going to prevent aging. I'm like, no, well, aging is a natural part of life and we're all going to get older and we do. And I hope to become very old one day. Um, but at that very old age, I still want to be able to recall my children's birthdays 
recall the names of their future children. Do you know what I mean? I want to get out and work in my garden. I want to still be able to care for myself. And to me, that's, that's what a lot of this leads down to a common core of as I become older, can I age with maximal function? It's, and, and that, that's what I want yeah, to do. I, I mean, I, I think that's the underlining thing here that, you know, when, when you're looking at progress photos and, and whether you're, you know, what plan you're doing, which protocols you're doing, what we're really doing is, is creating lifelong habits and hopefully lifelong independence. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's really, that's really what we're after. And I mean, I just, you know, with, uh, for somebody that's just starting, um, one thing you mentioned with fasting, and it's not necessarily that it's in the 16-8 window that that's really popular. You just said that basically you get up in the morning and you don't eat for the first couple hours. So, you know, for somebody that is just starting, that you're coming into this, you're like, okay, I want to lose some weight and I want to try some things out. Um, of course, there's research to back a lot of this up, but, you know, you really could just do a walk. You could start with walking and then you just, you know, eat a little bit later than you normally do. I mean, just, you know, finding places to start. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's looking at it as a whole lifestyle um, in terms of, right. So if you could stop eating after seven or eight o'clock at night and then delay your first meal by a couple hours in the morning and then add physical activity, which walking is physical activity and cut down again notice i'm not saying eliminate everything but i'm saying like if you're a person who likes to have orange juice um in the morning and then you know two or three times throughout the day or pop whether it's diet or not you know cutting out some of that and replacing it with water you'll notice um improvements just in your overall quality of life. And so it's really using all of these different techniques, um, but obviously incorporating uh, intermittent fasting to kind of maximize your health because exercise, while it's not necessarily the end all be all for um, weight loss per se, Mm -hmm. it definitely has other health benefits. So and, um, you know, you don't want to neglect the exercise because I'll hear a lot of people are like, well, I'm losing weight with intermittent fasting. So why do I need to exercise? Because there's other health benefits to exercising. And again, if we're really trying to biohack and maximize our total body performance, being able to climb a flight of stairs uh, is is a good indicator of can you know are are you cardiovascularly fit or okay so i think it's it's kind of again putting everything together in a whole picture yeah it, it's it's being able to look at what you're trying to do that's right in front of you but again like look, having that big picture view of, of decades decades in the future and i'll tell you what for this, this and this is really i know you and i have talked back and forth very briefly on instagram but i'm i'm really I, i'm I'm pleased and borderline amazed with how much just quality information around fasting and around overall weight loss and mindset and mental health that we've been able to cram into one 30 minute podcast. Yeah, no, I think I, hopefully it was very high yield and if none, the if nothing else, hopefully it, it encourages people to uh, start looking into some more of this on their own. Again, I'm a very 
firm believer that just doing something because someone told you so, it's probably why I gave my uh, parents heartache as a child. But just because you tell me to do it, I, yes, you're my parent, I'll do it. But I still want to know why. And I think as we become adults, I just don't think the do it because I said so works. I think you have to understand it. Um, And with your own understanding, it's going to allow you to tailor things again, to specifically fit you, which that's what we want to do. We want to deal on the individual level Um, because population-based information is great, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to take what you've learned and apply it to your specific situation. And so hopefully, if anything, it just encourages people to read up more about it so that maybe they are interested and and can kind of try and play around with their own protocols. That's really what it's all about is figuring out how this stuff can work for you in in the long run. And Dr. Ganhart, I appreciate you coming on and and just chatting with me today. Now, if if folks do have questions or they want to get some more information on what it is that, that you do within the weight loss community and the fasting community, where's the best place for them to go? So my website is a good place to start um, and everything's under the same handle. So website is going to be thefastingdoctor.com. I'm on Facebook as The Fasting Doctor. I'm on Instagram as The Fasting Doctor. So um, those are all places that you um find me. And then I also have a Facebook group, which is also the fasting doctor, uh, where we just have kind of an open dialogue about intermittent fasting and other misconceptions, um, that people may have had. So that's, those are all the, the different platforms that you can find me on. So guys, plenty of information for you to find out. And then if you have any questions for Dr. Ganhart, definitely let her know. But I appreciate you coming on with me today. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to do it again really soon. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Have a good afternoon. Thanks. You too. Bye.